Um, but yes, I suppose the benefit with me coming on board, I, you know, as an outsider to the family, an yeah. outsider to the business and an outsider to the industry, I wasn't coming in with any preconceived ideas or bad habits or the old adage, this is how we always do it. the voice of Tom Black, the Managing Director of Belfast-based dealer and distributor Cyril Johnston Limited, who is my guest for episode 47 of Inside Agriturf. I'm Chris Biddle and this is the third of my trilogy of podcasts, a, a subtitle Dealernomics, with dealers founded in different eras about the economics and evolution of their businesses. First up, it was Tim Lane of ATH Machinery, founded just two years ago. And next, Steve Halley of Cheshire Turf Machinery, who this year celebrates its 25th anniversary. And now the focus is on Cyril Johnston, founded 70 years ago and still representing Hater, the brand the company was very much founded on. Run for many years by Cyril Johnston's son, Dolway and David, Tom Black has come from outside the family with a strong financial background. So, Tom, welcome. Uh, tell me, how long have you been with the company and, and what is your background? Joined in March 2015 Twi as the, I guess, really as the finance director. And you've got an accountancy background. Uh, where, where had you been before you joined Cyril Johnson? I do for my sins. Um, I think it's always a bit of a conversation killer when you say you're on a Yeah, I tra trained with Pricewaterhouse in Belfast. And that maybe gives an indication of the time scale because it was PW rather than yeah. PwC. Um, and, I, and I came, rather than taking the audit uh, train, I came through the, the small business department, as it was called. So that was working with owner-managed businesses across Northern Ireland. Um, so it was an ambition always to get into the commercial world rather yeah, than stay in accounting. Absolutely, I think. Yeah. And it was a, a real passion for that type of business that came there. And I, I guess, you know, through so many businesses over the years, with PW seven years from start to finish, and I got through those family businesses, seeing the things that worked and the things that definitely didn't work. You know, was able to bring that. I've been able to bring that both to CJs and and to, to the previous company, Kernahans. So, so you're with uh, Kernahans. Uh, what business were they in? They were very similar to CJ. It was a family-owned business in distribution and retail. So uh, they so they had the Aga shop in Belfast, retailing Aga cookers. But they also had a distribution business and um, distributing white goods, stoves, bathrooms, so fill around fill around block bathroom. Yeah. So it was all quite high-end uh, quality product. Um, and yeah, but, I suppose yeah, very I, similar. And obviously being a family business and also being in distribution, there would have been some similarities to that that you would now experience oh, at, at Cyril Johnson. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, the, I guess that move to CJ wasn't that difficult because probably turnover-wise, the same. even the split in the turnover between retail and distribution uh, was probably similar. So, so yeah, it was, it was an easy move that way. But it's interesting that whilst you were with Pricewaterhouse, you would have got experience and, and also seen what worked and, and what didn't work. Um, yeah. One thing yeah. interesting, talking to uh, Tim Lane yesterday uh, in the previous podcast, and even though he has only run his business for a couple of years, he admits to be... A certain naive about aspects of the business and mm -hmm. uh, it is totally different to working in a big concern isn't it oh absolutely yeah yeah I mean, but as i say i guess my my grounding from pw helped i, I think 
had I come from a bigger corporate background, that could have been a challenge. Um, sure. Because, you know, in, in between my time with PW and, and Kernans, I did three years with the health service in Northern Ireland. Well, I made some really good friends and got good experience there. I found it hugely frustrating. Sure. That type of organization where so many layers of management to get a decision <laughs> made, you know, whereas the, the beauty of a family yes. business is generally you can make the decision. Very flat management, spot, you know? yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And so uh, Cyril Johnson, by my reckoning, must be one of the oldest, uh, shall I say, dedicated garden machinery dealers. Um, 1954, I think it was it was formed by Cyril Johnson himself. And and he had a, a early relationship with a young Douglas Hayter of, of, of Hayter Machines. Yeah, yeah the, co- the company was incorporated in 1954, but was actually established in around 1950. Um, and I think it was around 1952 that Cyril and, and Dougie shook hands. And I guess to, to today, we remain haters. I think we might be their only distributor in the UK. Um, sure. Certainly one of the few. But our relationship with Hayter goes back 70 years. Over the years, the company also got quite heavily involved in the agricultural machinery market, didn't it? It did. We had, yeah, we sort of, I guess, as Cyril attended different shows and his brother Joe attended trade shows, they, they, we ended up with the Massey Ferguson distribution for, for Ireland, for Northern Ireland. But yeah, there was a, a fairly sizable ag business that grew up, which I think Dolly and David decided to sell maybe 15 years ago um, yes. to, and, and, and moved back to pretty much the core business of, of machinery, garden machinery. And you've obviously come in as a non-family member, yeah. as MD now. So I suppose the benefit with me coming on board, I, you know, as an outsider to the family, an yeah. outsider to the business and an outsider to the industry, I wasn't coming in with any preconceived ideas or bad habits or the old adage, this is how we always do it, you know, <laughs> probably being able to bring some fresh eyes and fresh thinking to how we do business. Indeed, and I think we might come on to it in a minute. I've always uh, regarded as uh, Cyril Johnson has wanted to do that, bring people in with different experiences within uh, within business and and retail in general, rather than Mm -hmm. specifically for guard machinery or or whatever. So you've been there six years then, uh, Tom. How's the How's the business changed in the six years that you've been there? Because I do recall coming over and uh, Cyril Johnson has been involved in a lot of markets. I mean, there was Garden Centre and I, I believe yeah. there was motorhomes at one stage That's and right. Marine. Yeah. And... yeah, I, I, I came to the business probably just as we were, were exiting the, the Marine and the motorhomes, I guess, probably the 2008 recession when all those sort of fancy commodity those fancy goods that the market died for those. So the, the guys were already exiting from that. And they were sort of popping up pieces of business. So I guess the six years have been very much back to basics, back to the, the, the core business, which was always garden machinery. So, so it, it is the core business is garden machinery, domestic yeah. and uh, professional, uh, presumably, yeah, yeah. and sales and service and and hire. Um, mm-hmm. Although the hire business is a is a separate business, you run it as it's a separate, a separate company owned by family yes. members still. So, and um, and David are, are shareholders yeah. in it, but yes, it's it's a standalone business. But we 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 do a lot of business together, you know. Um, has there been meant much change to that sort of portfolio? Uh, as you say, the motorhomes and marine were disappearing when you were arriving. Has there been much change since then? Well, yes, I suppose, as I say, getting back to that core product, we have we have re-engaged with, with a number of brands, um, both for consumer and, and professional. Um, you know, I deal with, with Alad, yeah. Baron, with Baroness, um, 
Charter House or Redexham as they are now. Wessex, I mean, it, it, there's quite a number of brands, just especially in the last few years, have come, come back on stream. So. Were your previous experiences with the distribution company, with Kernahan's, they probably weren't as weather related as your business would uh, be at the moment, probably more more affected by the economy rather than the weather. Would absolutely. that be true? Yeah, I, I guess the, the benefit with Kernahan's is that they had almost four or five mini businesses within the main business. So the turnover was fairly steady every yeah. month. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a, it was completely mind blowing to come into to our industry. Yeah. <laughs> And, and the whole pre-season concept where I remember sending the guys down and saying, so, so I've got this right. We're going to send product out to dealers in December, invoice them in February and start collecting the money from March through to July. And they all said, yeah, like I was the weird one. I don't That's the way we've always done it. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and then obviously within our industry, you've got the seasonality. You know, we know yes. here six years and I don't think anyone season has been the same as the previous one you know it's either too hot too wet or, or, or whatever it's just well I, I don't think there's um there's, there's any doubt that you are not short of the raw material of grass growing in in northern ireland surely Absolutely. so you you do have uh, something of a of, of an advantage there maybe but in terms of the weather i mean there's not much you can do about it um and then quite of course out of left field tom comes covid you yeah. wouldn't have seen that coming uh, so you no. would have taken you would have taken over wouldn't you uh, uh, w- were you in lockdown when you took over how was how was the business in that period um, last year no we i well i, mean, I, I was already gm to be honest since 2016 yeah. um i was just md from from november 20 so yeah i mean i did sit down with with Dalway at, at the start of COVID and think, my goodness, what is yeah. what is coming down the pipe at us? Um, yeah. We we kind of rehashed the budget and we pretty much pulled together the doomsday scenario. You know, I, I have to say that that the team rallied tremendously and uh, we actually ended up being only marginally off our original budget for the year, yeah. for 2020. So, I mean, that, that was really encouraging. Well, the grass didn't stop growing, did it? <laughs> it did, and that's, I guess that's the thing. And, and I don't know, maybe as an industry, we didn't see the opportunity. We didn't see the opportunity. I guess everyone was staring down the barrel and thought it was the end of the world, you know, but, but people being furloughed, people being stuck at home, they wanted to do work to their house, buy stuff for the garden. And, yeah, I, I, you know, I guess that was a bit maybe some of us didn't see. So. And of the things that you put into uh, into place to, to cope with uh, lockdown and uh, a changing market condition, are there any aspects of, of that which you think will continue within the business, things that you'll do uh, that came about because of COVID maybe? Well, possibly, uh, I know I'm under a bit of pressure from staff for homeworking to continue think we have seen that that works okay for us um we, we we had to react to that we were able to reconfigure our phone system so that the staff can sit at home but it's as if they're sitting in the office um, yeah so that has been that's been a real positive and as i say the general the general workload stuff was being done i don't doubt that anyone was you know wasn't pulling their weight and is that something that will stay as a as a as a last a lasting feature of the business or uh, will we get yeah, I, I, whatever we I, call normal yeah I, I don't know that i would be keen for the staff to be at home constantly i do think you know a lot of the staff have come back to the office and, and, and i've been very clear the whole way through if you want to be here 
happy to accommodate you. Let's make sure we're distanced and plenty of space, thankfully, in the office to, to keep people safe. But there's been a number of people that have said, actually, you know, the novelty's kind of worn off and I miss, <laughs> I miss the crack in the office. And yeah. so I'd like to come back if that's okay. So, so I think there's probably a hybrid there, you know, I think where we can try and accommodate staff maybe a bit more flexible, the work-life balance. But I, I would be keen that certainly everybody spent some time in the office with their colleagues. Um, did you have to hone your communication methods as well? Presumably, did you make more use of social media to yeah. get in touch with customers and so on? Yeah, with social media and, and to be honest, even things like this Zoom meeting, you know, it's, yeah. in some ways it's good, but it's also very tiring because before you would, if you need a meeting with a supplier, you hopped on the plane, you sat yeah. around in an airport for a few hours, you had your meeting for a couple of hours, came home. Now we're cramming three or four Zoom meetings into the day and quite often you can be thinking, what did I actually agree with? You know, so and you don't have that time. It's to... more efficient, but it, it can it can bring its own pressures. So. Sure, you don't have that time to reflect, uh, do you, mm -hmm. so much? So you've got several aspects to your business, which are obviously retail, a, a strong retail mm -hmm. offering at, uh, at your head office, a distribution, manufacture, uh, and, and hire. How do they all fit together? Do they fit together quite seamlessly, Tom? Pretty much. Um, I mean, there's there's a good customer of ours, and I'm not naming him, but I, I remember him saying, you guys can't ride two horses. You can't be a retailer and a distributor. And there's maybe some truth to that. I mean, I guess what I have tried to do since I've taken over is is try not to go after the customer's customer. Now, that's not always realistic. I guess no. sometimes there are customers who maybe don't want to deal with a particular dealer or they come to our showroom, and, you know, but we, we don't actively target our customers. So, so online, for example, you know, we don't really push the online business. We have our Garden Care Direct website, which carries product at full RRP, so that we're not competing with the dealers' websites. So it's an information that in source. Itself almost yeah. is, that, that almost kills the business because, you know, when it's like yourself, Chris, if you go online shopping, you want the best possible price. If someone comes to our site, She's full RRP and thinks, no, nope, these guys aren't open for business, I'll move on. So, so yeah, that it doesn't generate much business. In effect, it's really become a brochure site for the garden care. But retail, you know, I, I guess the retail business predates distribution. So we, we've done our best over the years. We don't always get it right, but we, we, we try our best, as I say, not to compete yeah. with our, our customers. We've touched on the various market sectors that you've been in. Uh, when you look at diversification and the op opportunities thereof there are obviously advantages but are the dangers as well in, in, in yeah i suppose that piece you know, generally diversification you know it's about taking some of the risk out I mean, obviously for us purely garden machinery you get a bad season wet season your sales are down so you know we we have for example within the retail showroom brought stoves in there go-karts yeah you know, and i know other dealers have done the same thing and and, and it is but i guess the danger sometimes in diversifying too far out of your comfort zone is then you don't have the expertise. So, But I guess um, it's the reasons for diversification because yeah. with, with go-karts and that, uh, and you've got the room, I do know, within your yeah. showroom, or sure. you used to have, certainly. But that is it's a seasonal product which counterbalances, presumably, the garden machinery market. It does, you know, and the, and the stoves as well are predominantly yeah. winter products. So um, it's, a good, it's a good balance. Uh, Tom, we talked about you coming 
uh, from outside the business into Cyril Johnson. And I do know that Dolway has had a policy of, of, of employing people who have got experience in other retail environments and other retail yeah. companies and some quite high profile. I'm thinking particularly of someone like Brian Mitchell, who, yeah. who had experience as a, a manager, I think, of a B&Q store or a Comet store. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was B&Q and Comet and Next as well. And Next. Well, that, that, and bringing that kind of experience into what is a fairly traditional and maybe blinkered industry, mm-hmm. do, do you think that's got some advantages? I think in our case, certainly it has worked really well. Um, I think our retail showroom, probably pre-Brian, was very much seen as an outlet. Yes. You know, like an outlet shop. Certainly turnover was nowhere near it is at, at the moment. And I, I guess Brian, um, but like I said, brought that fresh thinking. That retail head that says, I need every square inch of this showroom floor space to be generating income and working for the business. And, and he has, to be fair, he's, he's done a sterling job that, and, and really driven that that business hard and yes as you say you know probably ruffled a few feathers <laughs> along the way but um all in a good way and very positive and, and and i guess you know he has been brave enough to bring competitors products into the showroom which was mind-blowing you know because up to that point we only ever sold our own our own brands um, yes but that was a that was maybe a a, a bold brave move but it, it has worked because again then it it takes some of that pressure away of us being seen to compete with our customers on our distribution brands. And there's also the whole question of, of retail techniques that he would have brought yeah, from absolutely. those big stores, which sure. uh, possibly are not taught as much in this industry as they would be within those industries. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and a lot of it's down to psychology, isn't it? And, and well, it is, yeah. But, but, but you're right, Jess, as I say, going back to the original point, you know, I'm just that's very simple thing of saying, there's a space there, I need to put something in it that's going to generate yeah. Income, you know, whereas you've been in our showroom, Chris, it's yeah. a, it, it is a big showroom and there's yeah. lots of wasted space. Uh, and you provide quite a lot of opportunities for impulse buying, I seem to think, with yeah. dump, dump yeah. bins and so on. That's it. Yeah, well, so if we if we look at social media, which has been around a long time, what do you find is the most effective for the business for you? Is it Facebook or is it what is it? Yeah, we probably tend to veer towards Facebook more. To yeah, be honest. I think some of the guys have, have dabbled a bit on Twitter. You know, yeah, posting putting individual posts up or whatever. Facebook's probably main when we are trying to look at LinkedIn. Um, I, I guess it's it's understand whether it's actually effective. I guess is our. Is our Difficulty, yeah. you know, and I've seen, you know, we probably need to think about things like competitions or whatever to see if they generate. Sure. And, of, and, and of course, one of the uh, other promotional aspects of a dealership is uh, our shows. Mm-hmm. Have you missed shows and open days? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not the same. I mean, we've tried to do a view of the virtual shows, but it, it, it just yeah. isn't the same buzz. You know, there's nothing. Can't kick the tires. Chatting with someone, you know, face to face. No. Well, what's the scene looking like now? Do you expect uh, shows to be back next, or say next season? I hope so. I mean, uh, certainly, I mean, Soltex is on this year, and we certainly intend to to be across to to see some of our our suppliers. I'm not sure if I'm brave enough to head to Canton Fair just at the moment. <laughs> no, you might have to uh, quarantine for quite a long yeah. time. What about staffing and, and training, Tom? How easy or difficult is, is it to replace staff at the moment? Or do you, do you work your hardest to retain the staff that you've got? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure what the labour situation in, in Northern Ireland is and Belfast in particular. Yeah, it's, it's probably very similar to the UK at the moment. I mean, 
it's struck. It is a struggle to re- recruit staff at the moment for all the talk about the furlough scheme and people being out of work. Um, yeah, we, we've had a few ads recently that we have had to run and a couple of times to try and get any interest in them. I, I think we we always try to prefer to retain staff if we can. We invest heavily in our staff with the training, and if we can promote from within, we do it. Um, but sometimes just the skill set isn't there, and we have to go to to the external market. And as far as training is concerned, I mean, you can't use how have manufacturers been in delivering training possibly online to, to your staff? Yeah, well, that's it. It's been online, but again, a bit like the shows, Chris, it, it, it's not the same as getting no. hands on. And someone's talking you through it from the other side, but it's just not the same as, no. as that sort of interactive piece. But look, it needs yeah. must. We've had to do it that way. Hopefully that, that will change. So. Sort of looking back on this season then, Tom, um, and, and looking forward, what do you think are the major challenges you've got within Cyril Johnson to uh, keep the show on the road, remain profitable and so on? I, I, I guess it's probably the same answer everyone would, ask in, would answer in the industry at the moment. It's the, the uncertainty around supply. You know, we, we have our orders with the factories, but how much is it going to cost to get the container from China? Is the factory going to be able to build the product because the components seem to be in the wrong place around the world. So yeah. I guess that's probably the, 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 the uncertainty for us as we, we head into next season. You know, we can do all the planning, but we're very much at the mercy then of the product. Now, I don't know too much about the ramifications of the Northern Ireland Protocol, but mm-hmm. is that having an impact on your business over and above all those issues that you've just mentioned? I'll be honest, Chris, I'm not sure there's many of us here in Northern Ireland fully understand the protocol either. <laughs> but, but yeah, the, I think initially, certainly the, the movement, anyone, any of our suppliers were bringing stuff from GB mainland. Um, yeah. There was certainly a hiccup at the start um, around the paperwork, but we spent time with each of the manufacturers just walking them through what needed to be completed. So I think we've got it fairly well home now. We have good, reliable carriers as well that we use consistently. So I think that that has helped. As regards the opportunities they talk about, I'm probably on the fence at the moment. Yeah, um, yeah. And, I can and see what, how they could be there, but I'm not seeing a plan out. So. Uh, and what about uh, customers in the Republic? What about the transfer of goods within the island of Ireland? Uh, no issue. No issues. No all. issue. I guess that that's been the biggest thing, and, and maybe dare I say, a bit of mischief that was being made at the start that, you know, we wouldn't, CJ wouldn't be able to sell you goods because you're based in the Republic, which is not the case. You know, there, no. there is no, no, there's no border. The issue is getting the goods to the island of Ireland, but they, they move freely within that. Just sort of a, as a topical news story, which I saw yesterday, is that the citizens of Northern Ireland are to be given a £100 shopping voucher to, to spend, as I understand it, between now and probably the end of November. Yeah. Uh, do you know much about that? And uh, do, do you think you as a retailer, if somebody comes in with a voucher, how do you get recompensed? Well, essentially, my understanding from the Chris is they are effectively prepaid debit cards, credit ah. cards. So so it's just put through the, the card machine. So yes, we, you know, we have and we'll be, be actively pursuing that with the customers. No, do, do you hope from some end-of-season business off it? Yeah, we will. We'll put some sort of offer package together, um, but, but, it, but it must be spent bricks and mortar. It's not allowed to be spent online. So I understand. And, and, so, and so your understanding is it will be in the, in the form of a preloaded card yeah. uh, with, with that. And as you say, 
can only be spent in the high street if I call yeah, you into the high street. I don't think there are many restrictions. I think possibly no. around alcohol well, or something. But well, it does. It, it does on the face of it sound to be a very, um, a very ambitious initiative. I, I, yeah, I think I think the scheme, the similar schemes have been run Malta and. Oh goodness! What was another? Some other country have used it quite effectively. Have they? Yeah, and, and um, they did see a, a, it. did generate footfall and, and, and sort of. Well, this, as long as it's got a sort of realistic start and an end date, and people know where they mm. are, I guess that's yeah. uh, no. I think uh, no time. I guess frustration is they've been talking about it for a while. You know, oh, as I understand, I yeah. they, they they're only the next few weeks or something. They're going to sure. make the cards available. So. Sure. So, Tom, uh, you know, thank you for joining me today. It's been very interesting. It's good to catch up. If you look back over the last six years, um, what's been your sort of most satisfying achievements or moment in the business or, or indeed things that have disappointed you that you weren't able to achieve? Disappointment doesn't jump to mind. I guess the, the, the satisfaction, I, probably more recently, you know, when, as I say, Dolly and I sat down March 20, looking at the COVID thing, Looking at a pretty abysmal scenario, we I kind of set out the stall that I wanted to get through this thing, this COVID. And I know we're not completely out of the woods, but no. we are returning to some sense of normality. But but the priority for me was to keep the team intact. And yeah. I'm, I'm happy to say we've done that. You know, we've kept the staff, all the staff on board uh, and brought them through the process. Now it was tough and, and they have really rallied. They've been, been outstanding. So. I think, and I hear that from so many dealers, quite a lot of yeah. level of satisfaction that family-owned businesses have been able yeah. to, to, to to face up and be in, in, innovative. And, um, yeah. Yeah, as I say, I think, I think we maybe missed the opportunity initially that presented yeah. itself. Yeah. So, so, so Tom, when you're when you're not um, on Zoom calls or, or running Cyril Johnson, what what uh, what what keeps you in point? Are you do you follow the sport or, or what? Uh, I, I funny, I was just having this conversation earlier. I like to get into the mountains and just clear the head. Nothing, yeah. the more yeah. mountains here, just yes. on the doorstep, which is great, yeah. great hiking territory. It's, a couple of yeah. friends from, from Carnarvon's actually keep in touch and uh, try and get up there. It, 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 it's, a, it's a wonderful area. And, and lastly, have you got any sort of motto that drives you every time you get up in the morning and say, look, must go for that? Or, or, or somebody that's guided you over your career or a role yeah, model? I, I think, you know, part, part of the, the, the process when I, I took over um, as GM initially, we, we kind of had to rebuild the culture and the ethos in, in the business. And, and we spent time with an external agency just looking at the values. Yes. Uh, and, and getting the business back to that core sort of family feel and family structure. And one of the things, I think it was a guy, John Stewart, it was along the lines of values. It was, it was if you don't stick to your values when they're being tested, then they're not values, they're hobbies. And I guess that's the bit that we try to drive. You know, that, that we, we have core values that we established as part of that process within the company, you know, yeah. customer care. And, yeah, product and, and value for money, and you know we try to, to use that on a on a daily basis to drive the business. Yeah, and you can get that ethos across to the to staff. Is is that yeah. uh, and they're yeah. they're receptive to that sort of thinking. They are, yeah. I mean, it, excellent. As I said, you know, can't can't stress enough. We, we have a great team of people here. Sure. So. Well, look, Tom, it's really good to catch up. Um, I hope um, on some future occasion I can actually just step through your door. And we haven't that would be great. Many, many, many doors recently. I I actually did 
that my first face-to-face -face recording yesterday, which was, <laughs> which was very strange, but there you go. Look, thank you ever so much for your time. Uh, thank okay. you for joining me today and uh, all the best uh, in, in the business going forward. Thank you. Take care. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now, I found that most interesting, particularly how Cyril Johnson has refocused its business firmly on grass machinery after diversifying into a number of non-related areas such as marine and motorhomes. Now, any diversification is centred around products that make good use of its extensive showroom with products that are a good fit with their core business. That concludes this trilogy of podcasts with dealers founded over the ages. Uh, there was Tim Lane, who has held senior management roles in a large dealer group, but who has decided to follow his dream of starting and ultimately growing his own business just two years ago, and just as COVID hit. Steve Halley of Cheshire Turf Machinery, who spun his own business out of ownership by a major international group 25 years ago. And now Tom Black, an outsider who came into a traditional family business started 70 years ago and who have recently decided to use an outside agency to make sure that the culture of the family company remained as strong as it was when founded 70 years ago. And two themes have struck home to me. First, how they all responded with huge resourcefulness and determination to meet the trading conditions of COVID. And remember that they had no idea how long that impact would be and how each had found ways to maintain and increase their business during lockdowns and restrictions. Second, and it is actually wholly related, that underpinning the business with a strong financial base and clear-headed financial controls enabled them to ride out and overcome externally created challenges, whether they be the usual sus suspects of the economy or the weather, all left field challenges such as the pandemic, which nobody saw coming. So just the story of three dealers, but I like to think typical of the majority of family owned businesses that populate the agriturf machinery community. I'm Chris Biddle, thank you for joining me. And this is Inside Agriturf. Thank you.